Chapter 8, Ruth Martin I arrived back at my dorm room around 8 p.m. on Saturday evening, having spent an extremely productive weekend visiting my parents in Isha. Tiki was there in our rooms when I got home, and he watched as I unpacked the glass with my dad and mum's fingerprints, and also the shard of glass with blood on it. His eyebrows raised inquisitively as he watched me unpack, and seeing that the question was on the tip of his tongue, I decided to answer without him uttering a word. That evening, I told him everything I knew. I told him about finding my grandparents after Dad had told us that they had been killed in the Blitz, and the photo I had found a couple of years earlier of a German man who looked just like my dad, except that he was wearing a Nazi uniform and standing alongside Adolf Hitler and Heinrich Himmler. Why had he lied to us all, I asked. I had always had a slightly cantankerous relationship with my dad, but it hadn't really affected me that much because I'd always trusted him because he was my dad. I'd had no reason not to, but when I discovered my grandparents were still alive and hadn't been killed in the Blitz, nothing made sense to me anymore. I now realized that I was way out of my depth and needed some help, but I didn't know where to turn to. Well, that's simple, Matt. My mum and dad would be happy to help you, and I know from what mum talked to you about last weekend, they were both very worried about Aunt Lilibet and knew a lot of people who are pretty experienced in these matters. I'd recommend that you phone them tomorrow and tell them exactly what you just told me. I'm sure they'll know what to do, Tiki suggested in his quiet and confident manner. Tell you what, Matt, he went on. Let me telephone them right now instead, and maybe we could both go and see them tomorrow and have lunch with them. Because it's Sunday, I think Mum will be cooking some roast pork with crackling and roast spuds tomorrow, and I must say I could use a good home-cooked meal. Wow, that would be great if you don't mind calling her, Tiki. I'd be so grateful, I replied. And with a nod of his head, Tiki telephoned his mum, telling her the bare bones of what I'd just told him a few minutes earlier, and then arranged to visit them the next day for lunch, around 1pm. Tiki and I arrived promptly at 12.30 the next day, in time for a snort with Uncle David and Aunt Ruth, as we walked into the house, it already smelled of the pork that was roasting in the oven. My mouth began to water. I'd brought the two items I'd taken from my parents' house a couple of days earlier. I'd carefully placed them in two separate boxes so both of them would not be compromised. We walked into the living room, and to my surprise, there was another guest in the room. Matt? Adrian? How lovely to see you both, Aunt Ruth gushed. I'd like you to meet a dear old friend of ours, Richard O'Callaghan. We've asked him to have lunch with us today so he could hear what you're going to tell us. I hope that's all right with you, Matt, she asked sincerely. Yes, of course it is, I replied. How do you do, sir? It's nice to meet you. And I reached out and shook Mr. O'Callaghan's outstretched hand. The introduction completed, we drank a glass of sherry, and then Aunt Ruth announced that lunch was served. Aunt Ruth was famous for her roast pork, and so we concentrated for the first half an hour on cleaning our plates twice 
at least for us hungry and poverty-stricken college students, when we finished the main course and coffee and brandy and dessert were being served, Uncle David identified Mr. O'Callaghan. It turned out he was an inspector of the special branch whom they had invited along as they felt that what I had to tell them would be of particular interest to him and his department. At the very least, they reasoned that he would be able to take my information and then pass it on to the appropriate department. We sat at the dining table for the next three hours. I told them everything I'd found out and finally presented them with the shard of glass that my dad had dripped blood all over and also the glass with both my parents' prints on them. O'Callaghan had been taking notes most of the time, and finally, after I gave him the shard of glass and the fingerprints, he looked at his watch and muttered to himself, Oh my, is that the time? I must be off. I will be in touch with you as soon as I've shared this information with my team. He thanked Uncle David and Aunt Ruth and got up to leave. But before he did, he walked over to me and shook my hand and said, I'm so sorry that you've been put in this awful situation, but I must tell you that you're very brave, and you're doing the right thing, I'm sure of it. And then he left. Uncle David walked him to the front door and watched as he walked to his car and then reversed out of the driveway. I asked Aunt Ruth how she had first met Inspector O'Callaghan, and she smiled and told me she had known him ever since my mum had been a member of the British Fascist Union. Inspector O'Callaghan, at that time, had been investigating terror ties and the possible infiltration of English-speaking Nazi spies into Great Britain in order to set up sleeper cells in case war broke out between the two countries. The British government finally lost interest in the UOF because even though they had credible evidence that in particular the Union of Fascists was conducting likely terrorist activities, it would have taken too long and been too hard to prosecute, and so, in their infinite wisdom, they chose to do nothing. Three weeks later, I received a letter from my grandparents asking me to please contact them as they had some important news to tell me. I dropped what I was doing and rang them right away. My grandfather answered the phone and asked me if I could come to their home as I had done before. I happily agreed and arranged to visit them in two days' time for tea again at 4pm. My curiosity was piqued. Two days later, I turned up at 37 Eaton Terrace to be met for the second time in several weeks by Inspector O'Callaghan, sitting in the drawing room of my grandparents' home. This time he had brought a subordinate with him, who he introduced as Sergeant William Collins. My grandmother opened the front door and gave me a hug and a kiss on the cheek, then led me into the sunny drawing room at the back of the house 
where my grandfather was sitting, talking most earnestly to Inspector O'Callaghan and his Sergeant P.C. Plod, who was busy taking notes. As I entered the room, I noticed a concerned look on my grandfather's face, and I walked over to him and shook him by the hand. It's so good to see you again, sir, I said warmly. You too, my boy. Have you been well, he asked, and I smiled and nodded that I had been. Well, why don't we sit down then? The inspector has something that he wants to run by us. I did as I was told, and he explained what he'd been doing since I had last seen him a few weeks earlier. After we met you at your uncle and aunt's house last month, he began, I had the fingerprints, blood and blood samples you gave me analysed at our lab and discovered you were correct in your suspicions. First of all, military personnel are all fingerprinted nowadays, and so I matched the fingerprints on file of one Major Robert Chandler with the prints that you provided, and they were not a match, I'm afraid. I then contacted Major Chandler's parents and asked for blood samples from them, which they kindly gave me, and ran their blood against the sample that you had given me. It proved without a shadow of a doubt that they are not in any way related to the person who spilled the blood that you provided. You had in fact shown Mr. and Mrs. Chandler a picture of your father, I understand, am I right? I nodded my head and Inspector O'Callaghan continued. When they saw the picture, Mrs. Chandler became upset. Is that right as well? I nodded again. And then Mrs. Chandler told you that the picture you'd shown her wasn't in fact her son Robert. I confirmed once more by nodding my head. If the photograph was not in fact the Chandler's son, then who was this man? The fingerprints you included in the package you gave me were definitely those of your mother and father. Am I also correct, Matthew? Inspector O'Callaghan paused, and I nodded my head and replied, Yes, I'm certain of that, because I was sitting in the drawing room at the time when my mum brought my dad a gin and tonic, and at that time there was no one in the house except for the three of us. So yes, I'm absolutely sure that the fingerprints on the glass I gave you belonged to my mum and dad. Inspector Richard O'Callaghan looked at me and delivered the eight most chilling words that I'd ever heard. In that case, the fingerprints belong to the assassin of Drancy. He was referring to the commandant of Drancy, Otto von Braden, who had been responsible for the deaths of thousands of Jews in World War II. I looked down at my feet for what seemed like an eternity. My grandmother had told me when she first saw the photo I'd taken of mum and dad on holiday in Scotland that the man in the picture was categorically not her son, but was in fact the infamous assassin of Drancy, Otto von Braden. When I first saw the photo of a man wearing a Nazi uniform that looked just like my dad in the library at Harrow a couple of years ago, I first thought that it was a coincidence, but over these past few years it had become clearer and clearer to me that the picture wasn't in fact a coincidence at all. There was a part of me that to this day I simply couldn't believe it and certainly didn't want to, but those eight chilling words O'Callaghan spoke to me were for me the coup de grace, and so I just looked down at my feet again and said nothing. 
This time it was my grandmother who came over to me and put her arms around me and comforted me. I just felt so lost. Blood tests that we conducted proved that Matthew Chandler is the biological offspring of who we now believe to be Otto von Braden and his common-law wife, Elizabeth Arbuckle, and therefore is in fact no relation to Eric and Susan Chandler. I looked over at my grandparents and noticed a look of disappointment in their eyes. I suddenly realized that Simon and I could both be considered the bastard children of unmarried parents. What the hell had they done to us, boys, I thought to myself, and suddenly I was furious. Simon and I had always been close, and it occurred to me that my meddling had potentially destroyed the one honest relationship I had left, because from what I was gleaning from Inspector O'Callaghan's current conversation was that my parents were about to answer some very serious charges. Otto von Braden disappeared from Ravensbrook on April the 28th, when he drove away in his car heading towards Berlin, O'Callaghan continued where he'd been working as the camp commandant for about a year after he had left Drancy in Paris. His wife reported him missing when he didn't return to their house outside the camp gates that evening. Two days later, his abandoned staff car was found five kilometres away from Berlin. Von Braden was never seen again until 1965, when he was discovered to be living under a fake name, Robert Chandler, with his wife Lilibet and their two sons, Matthew and Simon. I'd grown very fond of these two nice people that I'd met some months earlier, and I was so sad since I'd discovered that they weren't actually my grandparents. As I looked across the room at them, the old man smiled at me and stated, Matthew, I want you to know that if I had been lucky enough to have a grandson, I would have wanted him to be just like you. I smiled back at him and nodded my thanks. That was all I needed to hear. Mm -hmm.